Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on the episode this week, we talked to a woman who I jokingly called the Dos Equis woman uh, because of her extensive background. I mean, she's uh, been an IPO lawyer, a venture capital consultant, investment banker, business development uh, person for new media startups. Um, she helped start a nonprofit or you know some sort of startup uh, communication platform. It's uh, so why are we talking to her? Is the question? Oh, she's also a screenwriter. She she's she's uh, uh, written movies for the Hallmark Channel, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we 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 chose Valerie because she's focused on happiness. She's uh, studied extensively the topic of happiness and how to seek happiness in your own life. Uh, the book that we're going to refer to today is called Happiness is a Second Language, a guidebook to achieving lasting permanent happiness. Um, it's just an awesome conversation. Valerie is incredibly real, uplifting, um, easy to talk to. Um, and so I think all of you will enjoy this. Uh, she It's a perfect time of the year. It's summertime, so it's a perfect time of year to dive into happiness. I'm getting ready to go on vacation myself with my family. And so this topic for me, it comes at a perfect time and I hope it comes at a perfect time for you. So uh, with no further ado, here is my interview on happiness with Valerie Alexander. Thank you. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. We are honored to have you here. Um, as you well know, uh, our first question that we ask every guest is, who are you and why do you love what you do? I love that question, but I'm actually going to change it a little, or I'm going to adjust how I respond. This concept of your identity introduction, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's such an incredible way for people to introduce themselves now, instead of saying, for me, I could say, I, I was a securities lawyer, an investment banker, I was the CEO of a tech company, and all of that is fine, but those aren't ways that people meeting me for the first time or even listening to this will be able to connect to what I have to say. And our identity introductions are a really good way. We, we create connections across identities. So I'll share some things about me that make up my identity, which is I was born on the East Coast. We moved every year when I was a kid. So I've lived in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Texas, California. And when my parents got divorced, my mom moved us to Indiana to a small town in Southern Indiana where the largest social club in town was the Klan. And my maiden name is Horwitz. So that created a lot of interesting experiences in my life, in my young life, learning about hate and discrimination. Uh, I left when I was 17. I graduated from high school and moved the next day. Um, but I went to college in San Antonio, Texas, which I loved because San Antonio was the least racist place I'd ever lived. It was so beautifully racially integrated there, partly because there's five universities, there's five military bases. It's a majority uh, Latinx culture. So it was fantastic. I went from there to graduate school and law school at Berkeley. And then from there, moved to Los Angeles to be a screenwriter. I enjoyed success doing that. Um, I worked for some of the big names in Hollywood. I started also writing books and I started speaking. And then the one 
thing I will share is I, I do still write Christmas movies for the Hallmark Channel, which <laughs> I know you secretly love, even though you only admit to watching with your mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am married. I have been married. It'll be 15 years in October, which is kind of amazing to everybody because we got married three months after we met. <laughs> and we have one dog named Vegas Baby. So that is who I am. Yeah, you've got a really cool background. of be like the Dos Equis woman. Um, <laughs> you, have, you have a certification. You can use that if you need to. But you have a certification uh, of some sort in happiness from a really prestigious yeah. college. Uh, and you've written about happiness. And I I guess my first question is, what on earth encouraged you to dive into the subject of happiness? In 2007, the Writers Guild, which is the union that, union that represents screenwriters, went on strike. And my husband and I were both screenwriters. And we went through a, some very hard times and some also additional personal hard times that were happening in our lives at the same time. And at one point, my husband said to me, I can't believe you're still happy. He's like, you're just, how are you staying happy in all of this? And I said, yeah, it's not even my native language. <laughs> and somehow, as soon as I said that, I realized it's not. And I think that's true for the majority of us, by the way, that we weren't raised, our, our parents, God bless them. If you ask a parent, what is the most important thing for your kid? They're like, I just want them to be happy. And then they're not behaving in any way towards the kid saying, I just want you to be happy. <laughs> like, they want, I want you to have financial security. I want you to marry the right person. I want you to live in the right place, you know, like, but as I took a step back in my life and I looked at how I'd actually had to make conscious decisions to do things that would make me happy, leaving the practice of law to be a screenwriter. That's, that's not an easy conversation with anybody's family. Although I, all of it, all massive credit to my parents. Neither of them ever questioned any of my decisions. God bless. Thank God. I'm thank God. My parents just were like, well, that's what you're doing now. Good on you. <laughs> um, but so when I started realizing that I realized, oh, we have this whole notion about happiness. Like I should just be happy. Like I should, I should start focusing on being happy. But if you grew up in a house where nobody spoke Greek, you wouldn't expect to wake up one day and just start speaking Greek. So you, but if you wanted to learn Greek, you could do it. It would just take time and effort and lessons and repetition. And that was the realization that I had that like, oh, people can actually train their brains to be happy. It just takes all the same training that it would take to learn a new language. So that's when I started writing happiness as a second language. And I never read a single other happiness book. I studied language books. I went to the Los Angeles Public Library every day for four months. And I went through all the books in the language arts section to figure out how do you teach someone a new language? And I used that model to write happiness as a second language. And it's so important by the way. And now I've done a lot more study in understanding workplace happiness the 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 dollar savings if companies would focus there there's more than 18 distinct metrics across which corporations would save hundreds of billions of dollars numbers not an exaggeration it comes from gallup 600 billion dollars is the cost to our economy let's but, go ahead sorry to interrupt i just i, I want to like let's let's dive in that a little bit because when i as a, a former uh current leader but former like was school leaders and a district leader uh i think I do care about folks' happiness, but I, I'm really focused on their effectiveness, right? Yeah. How, how do you make sure that 
like, like talk to me and our audience as a former leader or as a current leader, why should I care about happiness? Right. I do care. It sounds, it sounds uh, really bad when I say it out loud that way, but no. why, why should I make it so important that I'm going after it uh, when I know we've got to be successful and effective with teaching our kids and growing our district? First off, just in the educational arena, you're happier teachers or you're going to be your better teachers straight up a, as an employment workplace. The, the, again, Gallup has studied this for two decades. Now there's massive amounts of statistics on it, but the difference between your, if you, if we break it into quadrants, the very happy, the happy, the unhappy, and the very unhappy, the difference between the very unhappy and the very happy is anywhere from 17% better results to 70% better results from the very happy on things like absenteeism, turnover. Think about how much it costs you to lose a teacher. How much does it cost a school system to lose one teacher, to have one person say, I'm done with this career, I'm out of here. So that, just that alone, just reducing your turnover. But there's so many things that um, in, in to, uh, you know, non-educational workplaces, things like theft and liability and, you know, defects and problems in your, in your, you know, in medical offices, it's difference of 56% in medical um, incidents, which is mistakes between the very happy and the very unhappy. Mm. So think about the just liability that can happen when it, when a teacher is no longer engaged in their job because see, happy people are more engaged they're more creative they're more resilient and the more valuable thing i can share is what makes people happy <laughs> because it is you know it is not free lunches and foosball tables in the break room that helps i don't discount that but the number one factor that determines how happy we are in our jobs is our sense of accomplishment. Mm. It, it's what makes people get up and want to go back the next day. There's three long ranging workplace happiness studies, Gallup, what I've been mentioning, Harvard Business School and UC Riverside, a researcher named Sonia Lubomirsky at UC Riverside, Teresa Mabale at Harvard Business School. And they, all three of those studies came to the exact same conclusion about our happiness and our job. UC Riverside calls it our sense of accomplishment. Gallup calls it being able to put our skills to their best use. Um, uh, uh, the Harvard Business School term is um, making progress on work that matters and what work could matter more than teaching. I mean, really. But the field of teaching robs people of that sense of accomplishment. It, it makes it so much harder to, at the end of the day, walk away and feel like, I made a positive difference in the world today. And so I highly recommend teachers in your own classroom, but especially administrators, find a way to give people that positive sense of accomplishment at the end of every day. And And of course, if you're a teacher, you accomplish something at the end of every, I mean, you think about nobody gets through a day teaching without, without having a positive influence on somebody's life. Yep. Yeah, it's, that's impossible. If you are teaching in a classroom, you are making a difference in somebody's life that day. 
But what happens is what we take with us, the, the human brain imprints negative messages seven times more strongly than we imprint positive messages. That's a survival skill. We needed to remember which berries are poisonous. We don't need to remember which berries are delicious. <laughs> but, um, but we do that to ourselves. We get to the end of the day, you can probably remember a mean comment you made to somebody once, right? Like off the top of your head, you can probably remember times that you were mean to somebody or that you didn't, you weren't your best self, right? Think about how much harder it is to remember those times that you were amazing, that you were awesome. We don't dwell on those. We dwell on what we did wrong. So the teacher who, you know, is so supportive and so helpful and makes such a difference in one kid's life and then just loses it in a moment and snaps at another kid or does something, you know, that they feel is a setback in somebody's education, they're going to dwell on that setback in somebody's education for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, maybe, maybe the rest of the year. I, I guarantee there are teachers who remember moments they got it wrong far more than they remember the moments they got it right. So there's all kinds of things you can do. Keep a little, I got it right journal at your desk. When, when, when you see some student have a breakthrough, look, I, 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 you know, I taught, I, I was at, I worked at a, a learning center for educationally handicapped kids. And I still remember distinct breakthroughs that some of my kids made, like when they finally, some concept finally clicked and it was a one-on-one -on -one learning center. Like, and it's like, oh, that moment. Well, I just remember those moments because they shined and they were wonderful. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it wasn't my career. It was something I was doing in between law school and grad school. And if you're a teacher, have a little notebook so that you force yourself to remember those moments when you see some kid get a breakthrough, when you see something happen, you see the light go off. Um, when the whole class suddenly all gets one big concept that you've been trying to get along, stop, take a moment, write it down. Keep a little running notebook so that then when you're having those days, you're like, why do I even do this? Go yeah. open up your notebook and see all the difference you made in people's lives. You know? So as I was thinking that, you know, uh, we're coming out of, or not coming out of, we're still in the pandemic. We're still, you know, who knows what, 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 where we're actually at within the pandemic, but I don't know if anybody, I talked to a superintendent recently who said every day I've made the best worst decision I've ever made in my career, right? Because of the critique you get all the time. So when you're going through a tough time like that with your district, your organization, your school, where you're not getting a lot of like quick feedback of wins, what kind of tricks do you offer for organizations so that we can start building that happiness of success? So yes, everybody wants to be successful, but right now, the market or the situation right. we're in are not allowing for that. What can we do to create that system? So we're going after happiness while we're trying to make that climb. Uh, well, first off, I want to make something really clear about happiness. I get people ask me all the time, isn't it kind of selfish to be thinking about my happiness, especially pandemic and economy and all this stuff. Um, and it is the least selfish thing you can do. First off, happiness boosts your immune system. And what greater gift can you give to the world right now than have a strong immune system? But, um, but no, the Lao Tzu, who is the founder of Taoism, says that if you want to eliminate all the darkness in the world, first eliminate all the darkness in yourself. And so being happy 
brings so much value to the world. So yes, focus on your own happiness. It's good. It's important to do. Ask what can leaders do? There's a technique I teach, I work with when I work with corporations on improving the happiness in their workforce. It's something called the employee of the month technique. So we'll change it to teacher of the month. If you're an administrator, let's, I don't know whether this would be at the principal level. I don't know. I don't know what the metric would be, but let's say you have about 30 people who respond. What would be a typical number of teachers who report to a single person? It could be 30 to 50. Okay. So that's, that's good. That's not too many. Yeah. So let's say you have 30 people. Um, at the end of each month, at the end of each month, one-on-one, have a one-on-one with everybody who reports to you and say, all right, we don't have teacher of the month here. I, I, I kind of hope you don't. Teacher of the month sort of seems like that makes one person really happy and a lot of other people <laughs> feel like, what? Yeah, don't have teacher of the month. But so take each person one by one and say, we don't have teacher of the month at this place. But if we did have teacher of the month and you were going to get it for last month, what would you have gotten it for? Hmm. What did you do in the last month that would give you teacher of the month? And let that person express and, and by the way, chance they might be telling you, oh, no, this is what I got wrong. This is what I got wrong. Say, eh, eh, stop that. I don't want to hear a single thing you did wrong. I only want to hear what did you get? What would you get teacher of the month for? What did you do that would have earned you teacher of the month? The first time you do that, everybody's going to be like, this is weird. And they're not going to really know what to say. But the second month you do that, they're going to be like, oh, okay, so this is a thing now. All right, it was this. By the third month, during the month, they're going to be thinking, oh, this would get me teacher of the month. This is what I can say. By the fourth month, they're going to be coming up with things saying, oh, if I do this, this is a teacher of the month thing. And that sounds crazy, but we get into the mentality, I am teacher of the month. This is what I will do. This is what I'm good at. This is the difference I make in people's lives. And, and do it consistently. Do it every month. And by the way, write down what people tell you. Write down what each person tells you. Because now, at the end of the year, guess what? You have 12 data points. You have 12 data points about each teacher for what they do that's great. What they do that, and those are things that then can be used to inspire other teachers. You can have a board in like the teacher's lounge saying, you know, teacher of the month and have everybody's name on it and what they did that made them teacher of the month and have that every month, have it change every month because then people will love to look at what other people do and they'll love to see their names on there. You know, make it a newsletter, print a newsletter at the end of every month saying, uh, you know, this is James Madison's elementary's teacher of the month uh, and then have every single person's name and what they did that made them teacher of the month. I promise you, if you do that, if you make that a newsletter, you are going to have teachers who save that newsletter for the rest of their careers. They will keep that piece of paper and they will save it the rest of their careers because their name appeared in print as teacher of the month, even though everybody's name is teacher of the month and what they did that made them teacher of the month. And that will inspire them to want to come back the next day and give you their best because we get happiness from our jobs, from feeling that we're making a difference in the world. So that that's awesome. I really appreciate it. And I, I, you are correct. Like we can do a lot of other things with rewards, but for something small like that, that does have impact. Um, you know, I still have little pieces of paper of things that people did for me way back when, um, right now, before we, I know we're going to wrap up, uh, right now, a lot of educators are battling burnout and fatigue and it's the summertime and I want to recharge. I want to get happy. I want to, like if I haven't felt there, I, if I am, I want to stay there. If I haven't been, 
I need to fill my bucket so I can get back and really give to my kids and my district and my families. What's the best piece of advice you have right now to help me and other educators do that this summer? Find what you love, find what fulfills you and carve out the time that, that is immutable, unchangeable, you are not allowing anyone to invade that time. Think of it, I always say, think of it like a doctor's appointment. And you can even lie and say it's a doctor's appointment. <laughs> if, if you have something, if like, I don't know, you love bowling, like you get your joy from going, just going bowling, even go by yourself, it doesn't even matter. You say, all right, I need three hours twice a week to go bowling. And like, you know, so Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, right? And then if somebody calls and says, oh, you, you find yourself working late, stop, force yourself to think of it like a doctor's appointment. Like I have a doctor's appointment at five o'clock on Tuesday. And if you think of yourself like that, then go bowling and release your brain from anything else you're, you think you're, might, uh, you're supposed to be focusing on. Find that thing and then reinforce the belief that that is giving you joy and that you deserve it and that it's making the world a better place. And whether it's knitting, bowling, uh, as we talked about earlier before we started today, I have, I discovered I was working on weekends. I, I run a, a company. I have, you know, employees under me and I, I discovered I was just working 24 seven and especially Saturday and Sunday. And I kept telling myself, I need to be either taking Saturday or Sunday off and I couldn't make it happen. And so I finally realized, okay, take Thursday off. And I, and I told everyone, all my employees know this, everybody knows Thursday is my sacred day off. And yesterday for me, I realized this is broadcast at a different time. Yesterday for me was Thursday. And I, I went to a water park I went and met a friend for coffee. I went to a comedy show that another friend of mine was, was performing in. And I kid you not, there was an open mic at a different room at the comedy club. So I wandered into it and they asked my name when I came in and I gave them my name because I didn't think anything of it. And then they were like, and next up, Valerie. And I was like, what? I had no idea. And I walked on the stage and I did three minutes. Um, <laughs> like that's awesome. It was the craziest thing in the world. I said, I'm not even supposed to be here. I don't know how this happened, but here's the funniest thing I know how to talk about. And it was about the male and female brains. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. And that could have not possibly happened if I'd said, look, my email inbox is packed. I could have easily said, all right, you know what? I really need to stay home and answer all these emails. I have client inquiries. Like I should be answering those emails. And you know what, now I'm, I'm fully prepared to answer those emails today and I am refreshed and better off and I'm a better communicator. I'm a better speaker. I'm a better boss. I'm a better everything because I said that time is precious. And yesterday, it was the first Thursday where I forced, because the last two Thursdays, by the way, I've kind of skimped on it and not really yeah. done it. <laughs> yesterday was the first Thursday where I'm like, no, I am taking the whole day and it's great. So That's awesome. everyone that is the best contribution you can make to others is to make sure you're taking care of yourself. That's awesome. Well, Valerie, this was uh, an incredibly rich conversation. Um, as you know, we're having a special summer series that you're kicking off and we were very honored to have you. But what I really appreciate is, you know, we got 
deep quickly, right, on real topics that are, you know, our country is very enamored with right now. And we spend time talking about how do you take care of yourself, right? Because to your point earlier, like a lot of people think happiness can be selfish, right? Because I got to serve others and do all of it. But as you say, happiness is kind of like your oxygen mask. Like we have to have it to be able to serve people at our highest level. And so um, thank you for making time for us. We are incredibly honored and we hope to have you back at some point because the number of books, by the way, if people have not looked into the wealth of topics you touch, they really need to. What's the best way people can go learn about uh, who you are and uh, what you have to give them? Um, speakhappiness.com is my website and that's all, all our socials are speak happiness. So the best place to start is at speakhappiness.com. There's some information there about my speaking information about the books. We have a blog with happiness posts and I would welcome anybody who wants to reach out to me. That's the best way. I think they should and nothing else. Uh, go watch some YouTube clips, dive into the easy reads of her books, uh, there, I mean, you can tell that you're a screenwriter in terms of like, it's captivating, right? You're, you're funny and it's quick and to the point, like you just, uh, it, it helps, you know, your former professor as well. I mean, like, heck, I don't know what you haven't done, That's a whole other <laughs> you need. Um, but I just think one of the values is, is that what you see is what you get, that you're incredibly genuine. Um, but also when you choose a topic, one, which has come across in this podcast, you generally dive really deep into the research. So it's well thought out, but then you organize it in a way that there's humor and easy takeaways so that I can actually do something with it. And so I would just say anybody who's been intrigued by our conversation, there's so much more depth to go into. So I would definitely go uh, follow you on Speak Happiness and on whatever social media site you have, as well as go to your website to, to learn more about how to uh, engage with you. Thank you so much, Dustin. That was that was lovely what you just said. And this went by so fast. I cannot believe how quickly we just went through all of this conversation. So it's been a pleasure and I'm so honored and I hope I get to come back. That would be awesome. Uh, I mean, again, I've got 17 more topics to choose from, so it'll be good. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Valerie. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.